let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Hey, it's Bridget. Join CityCast DC on August 28th for a live podcast taping, celebrating our one-year anniversary at Sunny's Pizza. We'll have a wine tasting from 5 to 6, and the live taping kicks off at 6.30. Hope to see you there. Okay, now... Today on CityCast DC... Houselessness is still below pre-pandemic levels in the district, but that good news doesn't paint the entire picture, because there's also been an increase in houselessness this year, and the city also has a social worker shortage. Marissa Lang, reporter at The Washington Post, has been covering how all of this is impacting the city. Today's Monday, August 21st. I'm Bridget Todd, and here's what DC is talking about. So Marissa, the D.C. metro area has seen an 18% increase in homelessness this year after years of decline. I know there are definitely a lot of factors at play, but advocates say that one of the factors is the social worker shortage. What does that have to do with it? So there have been a lot more resources going toward trying to address homelessness, trying to get people vouchers or moved into housing, particularly during and since the pandemic. The problem with that, though, is that there have not been enough people, caseworkers, social workers, people who sort of run the outreach and management of those resources to allow people to actually access them and to move into housing. So there's been this bottleneck in terms of the resources available that they haven't been able to really get them out the door and to the people who need them. And that's partly what we're seeing in D.C. as the number of homeless people has increased. They're just not getting them paired with housing and services at the same rate. Yeah, so you made clear that it's kind of a people problem, just not enough people. Why is that happening? There's a few different reasons. Number one, it's an attrition problem. So we've seen a lot of people leave jobs, and we've seen this in the medical field and other sort of high stress environments, especially since the pandemic, they've been having a hard time holding on to people in jobs that are homeless outreach jobs, social work jobs. But it's also a pipeline problem where it's been really hard to get more people into the pipeline for these jobs. In a lot of cases, there are requirements. People need certain degrees or certain prerequisites in order to be hired into this job. And so the pool to draw from is not huge. And in D.C. especially, they've been having a hard time recruiting people, getting people into those jobs, and then getting people to stay in those jobs. So that's kind of part A and part B. And then there's other issues at play, too, like there's certain requirements that these case managers not have unwieldy caseload. So there's actually a limit to how many homeless people each caseworker can be helping at one time. And so if you don't have enough staff and there's a cap on the number of 
clients, um, you're just not going to get to all of the people that need help in the same amount of time. What do caseworkers do for the homeless community exactly? Ooh, caseworkers do a lot. <laughs> um, their job can be anything from sort of the obvious, like helping match a homeless person who has a voucher with housing. It can also mean helping connect them with mental health resources or um, medical resources. There's a lot of folks in the homeless community who have a lot of medical needs. It could mean helping them with career advancement, connecting them with job resources or career advice or career counselors. It can mean addiction services, right? They kind of manage all of the different care and services that any one person might need in order to live, in order to live and be their you know, most healthy selves. You talked a bit about some of the complexities inherent in the work. Is burnout what's happening here where, where there are policies around how many cases or how many clients these folks can take on, but then there's not really a lot of people to t- pick up the slack where people doing this work that's pretty stressful and emotionally complex just get burnt out? Absolutely. That is a huge part of it. I mean, these are incredibly difficult uh, jobs that are sometimes odd hours, long hours. You're dealing with a population of people, right, that are kind of all over the place physically, might have various mental health needs or stresses, might have addiction issues. So it's a difficult work environment. It's psychologically taxing. It's emotionally taxing. The pandemic and all of those stresses have certainly added to it. And then I've also heard from you know folks in the nonprofit world that part of what they've run into is the work environment is compounded by the fact that they haven't been able to really give people a lot of raises, right? These are, in some cases, jobs that have sort of stagnant wages, or they don't come with maybe bonuses or a ton of vacation hours or some of the little extras that might make a job like that or a work environment like that a little easier to navigate and a little less overwhelming. And a lot of nonprofits, because they have tight margins and tight budgets just are not really able to stay competitive in that way and make it a sweet enough deal to get people in the door. I know there were reports early on that social workers weren't going out into the community, like in the case of that huge encampment in McPherson Square, uh, because of things like security concerns. Is this a real concern that folks in the space are dealing with? That's a great question, Bridget. I think that there's been some mixed feedback on that end. Um, Certainly, we heard from the city from the District of Columbia that when McPherson Square was at its peak, it had, you know, about 70 or so unhoused folks living in tents and in that park. And the district told myself and a couple of my colleagues that part of the the safety concern of that particular encampment was that social workers and outreach workers did not feel safe walking around. When I reached out to the actual nonprofits who do that work, they told me that 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 is not what they were hearing Mm. from their staff, that the folks on the ground were not reporting safety concerns, that there certainly were safety concerns and concerns about the safety of some of the folks who were living in McPherson Square, but that they themselves were not hearing reports from their staff about safety. And when I pushed back a little bit, especially to Deputy Mayor Wayne Turnage, and I asked him specifically, like, who are you hearing these concerns from? And, you know, where is that coming from? What specific outreach 
people are you talking to? He told me that the reports that they got actually came from some undercover police officers Mm. that had been in the park and that had been either staying in the park or frequenting the park. So I think the the language of like caseworkers maybe had gotten a little muddled. That is really interesting. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree that's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, so I know that a lot of city resources have focused on sweeps. How do those sweeps impact this overall dynamic. Yeah, so the the idea of clearing an encampment, right? It it seems very straightforward that you you take an encampment and you move everybody out and then they are gone. But really it's incredibly complicated and it can create more problems or different problems than the encampment in the first place. So I think that when we talk about an encampment sweep, oftentimes people imagine like a really big one, like when we were talking about McPherson Square and there were dozens of homeless folks living there. But when we talk about sweeps, actually more often than not, it means that people are removing one person or two people from a particular spot that they happen to be camped out outside in the street somewhere. And the problem is that these can happen with really little notice. They can be incredibly disruptive. If you think about the experience of a homeless person and you know all of their worldly possessions literally are in their tent or in their shopping cart or in their bags or whatever they might have, it's really easy that things get lost. Sometimes people lose important documents like social security cards or birth certificates or things that they might need actually to access some of the services that are available to them. And the other way that we see services get disrupted with sweeps is the way that the district is divided among different nonprofits that serve the homeless community is they all have sort of geographic areas like jurisdictions. So Pathways for Housing, for example, serves a particular part of the district and Miriam's Kitchen serves a different part of the district. And so as people are getting pushed or um, displaced from where they might have been living. And that means they had been maybe connected to a particular caseworker or a particular social worker from one of these nonprofits. If they pick up and leave and they move to a different part of the city or they move to an area that might be under a different jurisdiction, some of that 
service that they were getting might be disrupted or there might not be communication necessarily between the agencies or their caseworkers can lose them. In reporting some of the stories that I've been doing about following some homeless folks as they've been moved from encampment to encampment to encampment, one thing I heard repeatedly from caseworkers was that they would lose track of people. And after the McPherson Square encampment was cleared, the district and several nonprofits told me that there were more than a dozen people that they just did not know where they were, that they absolutely could not find them. When law enforcement conducts these sweeps, are they ever done with caseworkers? Like, do they ever work in conjunction? Is is that something they've ever done? So typically when you have a big sweep like the McPherson Square clearing, um, there will be a certain amount of notice given to the caseworkers and the nonprofits who do outreach. And certainly with a lot of these big encampments, they try to get outreach workers there beforehand to help connect people with services, to let them know what their options are, to tell people about what shelters are available and so on. The real problem comes with a lot of these quick turn encampment clearing. So in the district, there's this protocol called immediate dispositions, and that is a designation by which the city can determine an encampment like an emergency. And then they can clear it immediately, as the name implies, or these are usually cleared in about 24 hours. So when there is an immediate disposition declared and a sweep happens a few hours or as much as 24 hours after that, I've heard from a lot of outreach workers that the problem can be that they don't get notice of that until just right before it happens. So there there have been kind of disconnections happening when the eviction that's taking place is really rapid and there may not be enough time to get someone out there. So what's the city doing about the caseworker shortage? Robert White actually introduced a bill to the D.C. Council that would help to fund the pursuit of a master's degree in social work at the University of the District of Columbia for D.C. students who want to then go on and work in this sort of case management. Um, That is obviously a long-term solution. That bill would not even take effect until, I believe, next school year, the 2024-2025 school year. But the intent behind that, right, is to make it so that you can go and pursue this master's of social work without having to work about the cost of that to yourself. But then the expectation on the back end would be once you have your master's degree that you would then go and work and actually, you know, participate in some of these jobs that involve case management for homeless folks in the district. The other things that I've heard, and this is not so much coming from the District of Columbia, but like the nonprofits that contract with DC to run this sort of work, a lot of them have tried to offer bonuses or offer, you know, little extras along with the job to expand the recruitment that they're able to do. I have heard in recent months that they're has been some progress made that a lot of these nonprofits have been able to hire in more people. But, you know, they're dealing with a backlog and they're trying to play catch up. So even though they might be getting more people in the door slowly, it has still been kind of a a ramp up to where they need to be in terms of the kinds of services that they uh, see people need. So overall, homelessness is still below pre-pandemic levels in D.C., like 2023 is worse than 2022, but way better than 2019. Do you feel like this means the city is making real strides when it comes to homelessness? What we've really seen is the the big progress that the district has made as far as homelessness numbers is in family homelessness. Mm. That It is very, very 
responsive when it comes to any sort of homeless families, homeless children. They've revamped the shelter system for families. It's become very, very fast in terms of getting people enrolled and getting people housed when there is a family that is experiencing homelessness reported in the district. But when we're talking about specific populations of people like single adults and certain other populations of like unaccompanied youth, especially like LGBTQ plus youth veterans, for example, we are still seeing numbers that are concerning and and might not be addressed in the same way as the family homelessness problem. Marissa, thank you so much for the coverage that you're doing of this issue for the city. Thank you so much. I appreciate your interest and, you know, that people care about this. Before you go, here's some quick news. On Wednesday, more than a dozen janitors and custodians left their jobs to protest downtown. The strike followed a federal labor charge workers filed against the cleaning company Quality Building Maintenance, Inc. Now, workers said when they tried to unionize, they were harassed and fired over their immigration status and were discouraged from taking bathroom breaks. Also, volunteers at the Humane Rescue Alliance say the shelter has unacceptable conditions for dogs. They allege that dogs often are not let outside, are not given water, and euthanasia decisions are rushed. A spokesperson for the HRA rejected the allegations, but DCist WAMU confirmed reports of dogs living in their own waste through images of kennel dogs. And finally, a Fairfax County lawmaker is pushing an ordinance to restrict panhandling, specifically banning the exchange of objects between roadways, similar to the one in neighboring Loudoun County. Now, some argue that panhandling is a public safety issue. Others say that efforts should be focused on addressing underlying issues of panhandling and connecting folks with social services. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then. Bye.